and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I sprayed me in my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Really excited to have you with us. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast and myself, I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach during the day. So I get to work with all kinds of interesting CEOs and people in the C-suite in the corporate world. And then I also work with head coaches and, and sports admins in the sports world. And then I also work with athletes. So my days are diverse and I love helping people get from where they are to where they want to go. If you're listening to this podcast and want to reach out and find out how you can learn more about my work, you can email me at brian at blevinson.com. You can also reach out to me on Twitter where I am very active at Brian Levinson. Thanks to everybody who continues to support the podcast. We really appreciate it. It means the world to me when I run into people and they tell me that they're listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, and I think you will, I know you will, today's guest is just so inspirational. Please go over to iTunes and write us a review. Uh, Hopefully you'll rate us and give us five stars. It does help us as we continue to build this thing out and as podcasts become more and more popular, the more ratings, the better as we try to expand our reach. Once again, thank you all for being here. Now to today's guest. Van Brooks is somebody I got introduced to by a mutual friend, and he told me, hey, Van's one of my favorite people that I've ever interacted with, and Van did not uh, live down that claim. So Van played football growing up, and I'm going to let him share his story. Uh, And today he works in the nonprofit world in inner city Baltimore, where he helps to mentor and develop a lot of our youth And Van is somebody who is so thoughtful, so intentional, and so damn resilient. So you're going to hear his resilience and his story. Rather than giving you more information about Van, I just want to tell you that he is one of the most thoughtful, inspirational, mindful humans that I've been around. So I know you're going to love this conversation. And without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Van Brooks. Van, so excited to chat with you. Our buddy Zach, shout out to Zach, uh, connected us, and he said, I got somebody who you need to talk with ASAP, and it was you. And Zach is a connector and somebody who I've gotten to know, and I know you've gotten to know, and uh, just what a beautiful soul Zach is. Yeah, for sure. 
So uh, when he spoke to me, he said, you're going to love Van. You're going to love his story. He told me to ask you a few specific questions. He said something about a marathon. So we got to check on that. But I want to start by talking about just what we were talking about from the beginning. So uh, give people an idea of who you are, what you're up to. They can't see you. So uh, to paint the picture of uh, what you look like and what chair you're in and all that good stuff, uh, just give us like a brief introduction. Yeah, Van Brooks, uh, born and raised in West Baltimore. I was going to say I'm a six one model, but uh, no, I'm 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 a former athlete. Are you six one? I am six one. Yeah, so you I got am, that going for 6'1". you. I'm a former athlete, and I uh, broke my neck playing football back in high school. Yeah, and and take me back to high school a little bit. So uh, you're growing up in Baltimore. You are a stud football player. And other sports as well, correct? Yeah, I played basketball and lacrosse. So basketball, lacrosse, and football. When did that start for you? Why was that something that you were interested in from a young age? So I actually started playing football back in, in when I was seven. And so, you know, like a lot of kids growing up in my neighborhood at the time, we all thought our way out was going to be through athletics. And so football was my, my, my way of um, starting the process of, getting ready to to change my life and my family's life and and go on to be in the NFL. So that's, that's dad played football? Dad played any other sports? My dad didn't play any sports. My mother played baseball. She Funny played st- baseball? My mother played baseball, and she signed me up for it. I got hit with the ball and quit. So not, <laughs> not for me. So you're like, baseball's <laughs> not for me, but let me go play football and lacrosse where people are hitting each other. Right. Did, right. Didn't make sense at all, but <laughs> yep, that's what that's what happened. And siblings? I have, I have four older sisters, so I'm the youngest. Yeah. And what's the age range for you guys? Uh, oldest is in her 40s. So like 10-year so, ten ten-year difference. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And close with your siblings growing up? I am. Yeah. I, I was, and I still am. Yep. And what did mom and dad do for a living? So mom worked for MTA, Okay. and dad's always been a longshoreman. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And what were they like growing up, and what was life like in the household growing up? Oh, life was great. It, you know, no nonsense. Um, as far as my father was concerned, my mother was always there giving us that sweet love, you know, but dad was the the enforcer, making sure that we, we were doing what we need to do around the house, doing what we need to do to, to you know, develop into, you know, great kids and, and great individuals. And both very present in your life and around and... Always. Were they supportive of you as an athlete? What was their mindset about you playing these three sports? Oh, they loved it. They loved it. Um, actually, lacrosse was one of their ideas. They said... You know, when I when I hit the point of I'm going to go to college for, for sports. When was that? This was when I was in middle school. Okay. I said, I'm going to go to college for sports. I thought it was going to be football. And so they said, you know, you need to have a backup plan. They, they are very big on having backup plans. and But their backup plan was always for an education. It was always make sure you're getting your education. That's why we're sending you to the schools that we're sending you to. Why? Why were they so pressed and, and interested in you getting educated? You know, they, they just always said that that's the key to success. You know, you need to have an education because once you have that education, you can go on and use that to do whatever it is that you want to do. And so they always, you know, push that. Were they educated? Uh, they were. They, yeah. they, they didn't go to college, but they, they graduated from high school. And, you know, they, they were life educated them a lot. And so my dad used to always say, like, you know, I'm going to tell you what I went through so you can avoid those things. Mm. Now, and if you still wanted to go out and try it and be hard hit, that's on you. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen long before it's going to happen. So you need to listen to me. And being the youngest and you've got four older sisters, 
were you getting a lot of attention from them? Was your relationship with your dad maybe different than your sister's relationship with dad? I, I'm just curious to get a sense yeah. of the family dynamics. Yeah, yeah. oh, it, my relationship was definitely different. He was a lot harder on me because I was the only boy and because he was preparing me for, for life, you know, for life in Baltimore City. He was, he was definitely hard on me. So, you know, I spent a lot of time around my mother just because my mother was the one that was, you know, you know Get off his back. Leave, leave him alone. That's her baby. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly what it was. So I was yeah. a mama's boy. Yeah. yeah. And playing lacrosse, what was what was that like for you? Because obviously Baltimore, yeah. Maryland, big lacrosse area, but not necessarily a lot of people that are, I'm sure, in the city playing lacrosse. I could be wrong about that. I'm not from there. I'm yeah. from the D.C. area, but we share a state. Yeah. Um, so what was that like for you? I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Flat out hated it. But, you know, my, my, my parents wanted me to play because... At the time, there weren't many African-Americans playing. So they're saying, if you want to go to college for, for sports, play lacrosse. And that's another way that you can possibly get into college free, right? Um, but again, theirs was always about the academics. So if you if you want to play sports, we, we want you to play your sports. But we also want to make sure that you can get an education. So. And were your yeah. sisters going off to college? What were, what were they doing? I had one sister that graduated from college. But the other ones, again, they, they're older than me. So they were already working. Got it. So at this point, they the your sisters are older. You're in middle school, and it's clear you have clarity around this idea of I'm gonna get really good at sports, so I can go get my education for free. Uh, Mom and dad are supporting this, and I'm gonna leverage it in that yeah. way. So, nope. Yeah, so a little, I was gonna play sports because I was going to the NFL. Okay. So right? their image was different yeah. than your image. Yeah. Their image was you're going to play sports and you're going to use that as a vehicle to get a free education. Got it. And for me, it was, no, no, no. I'm using this so that way I can get some money. So you were clear. NFL or bust. We're going all in. We're going all in. And so uh, are, your, are your friends, are a lot of them into football at that age? Yeah. Uh, so you're around other football guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there players from, are there people from your area that have gone on and made it to the NFL? Did you have any models that you looked up to and said, oh, that person did it so I can, I can make it? So not 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 in my community and none of my friends. Um, I had I had a, a couple players that I played against at the time, um, or was playing against that eventually went off and, and made it to the NFL. But we were coming up together. Got it. But there wasn't anybody that I was looking at from my neighborhood that said they made it and I I can do that too. It was just uh, you know I'm gonna do this. This is what I want to do and I'm just gonna go all in on it. And what were the values that mom and dad? instilled into you and maybe even your sisters what what are the yeah. values that they really talked about yeah family god and education you know make sure make sure you you you, you keep in those things make sure you stay humble at all times because you know things can change in a split second so you need to be humble but also you need to keep family first you need to keep god first and you need to you know make sure you get an education did you have extended family also in baltimore or was it just your immediate family that you were yeah. around my, my entire family everyone and yeah. so Big family. Big family. Everyone's from Baltimore. And religion was a part of the family experience as well, or is it different? It was for me just because I was in I was in Catholic schools. And so I was always in and out of church and, and doing those things. Now my you know, my family, we, we never went to church as a family. But it was very, you know, we, we say our grace and we made sure we say our prayers in the morning and at night. And so those were the things that were being instilled. So Catholic school. So where do you go to school and what's that experience like for you? Yeah, so I was actually the only one to go to Catholic school out of my siblings. And so my first one from elementary school was Father Charles. And then from Father Charles, I went up to Loyola Blakefield from 6 to 12. Why were you the only one to go to Catholic school? Sacrifices. 
You know, at the time, my, my parents couldn't afford for my other, other siblings to go. But through their sacrifices and knowing that they wanted me to get the best education, and not just me, all my siblings, you know, but it was just fortunate that I was the youngest and by that time, they were able to afford for me to, to go to the schools that I would. Do you think if you switched to. with your oldest sister, that that wouldn't have been your path? I'm not sure. I, I, I that's that's tough. I, I can't answer that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just interesting to think about what are the benefits that might have happened for you because you were the youngest, um, which is just kind of fate or luck or mm -hmm. whatever have you. So you're at Loyola. Talk about what that experience is like from sixth grade to twelfth grade. So in the beginning, it was rough. Didn't want to be there. You know, you're telling me you're going to send me to a predominantly all-white school. Uh, Catholic? Uh, Catholic. Well, I, Catholic school wasn't a problem because, again, I was in, in my elementary school was in the city. So but you it was were used to school. that already. Right. So Catholic school, wearing uniforms, none of that was a problem. But you're sending me, you know, away from my community to a predominantly all-white school. How far away is and it? It was about a half an hour drive. Yeah, and um, would mom drive you? Or my dad. Your my dad, dad would drive, drive you? Yeah, yeah. So he's driving you through the city yep. to take you to this private school? To a private school, an all-boys school at that. So, yeah. So then you throw in the factor that there's not going to be any girls there. It's like, yeah. Perfect uh, for a nah. sixth grader. <laughs> nah, not, not this sixth grader. <laughs> and so, you know, it was it was rough for me because I was determined that I didn't want to be there. and My dad was determined that I was going to be there. So literally every morning for a couple of years, we fought mm. every morning to the point of he would literally be dragging me out of bed by my feet down the hall to the bathroom saying, get yourself together. Mm. But, you know, the routine was, you know, he was coming in super early because he had to be back in the city for work about 7, 730. And so I was getting to Loyola, you know, 6 o'clock, 630 before the maintenance people were even there. What would you do? Sit outside. You just sit there. Just sit there. Listen to music, something. No, like, just sit there. Just sit. Just just sit and kind of just be in my head. Like, For how long? Like an hour? About an hour, yeah. I don't want to be here. <laughs> so like looking up at the clouds, just whatever. Yep. Or unless I find somewhere I can kind of doze off, find a corner somewhere. But most of the time, like grumpy, like you're. it's early. Why, why the F am I here yep. or whatever it might be? Yep. Did you remember when that changed? It changed when I realized that my dad was going to beat me up every day, and I got tired of that. <laughs> Dragging so, you down. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? You know, he, he's he's going to have his way. He won. So he won. He's he, stubborn. He won. Oh, yeah, for sure. Are you stubborn like him? Very. Yeah. yeah. All right, so values, you said family, mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. uh, what was it there? Education. Education. But underneath that is also stubbornness. What else is there? Like, what else is, do you think they instilled in you? You know, that never give up. No matter what the circumstances gritty, are, gritty, yeah, hardworking, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever you, you know, that whole what. When you tell a kid, um, you can become whatever you dream of. That, you know, and it, it was that whatever you want to do in life, go after it and go after with everything that you have. Being the youngest, did they did they think that you were special? Like, were you told? Like, hey, like, man, you're special. No. We're investing in you. No. None of that. No. They just, it was humble. No. It was. No. It, I'm a, when we get deeper into the conversation about my injury, my, my dad actually said that you're no exception. Mm. So, and, 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 and if you bring that back up and, you know, remind me, I'll, I'll go into that. But no, nah, not at all. But how do you have like this? How do you balance? I understand the humility of it, but also like the 
arrogance to believe that I could play in the NFL when I'm in middle school? Like, where did that inner confidence or arrogance or whatever word you want to place on it come from? You know, I think it was just more so of a dream, right? Mm. And then NFL season, I can turn the TV on and see people there, right? And it's like, well, they got there by believing and dreaming that they could get there. So why am I any different? Why can't I dream and have the same beliefs in my own ability? So I wouldn't necessarily say it was arrogant. It was I have examples of people on TV that I see there. So like the idea that you're no different also applied to them. They're no different. And so you took that approach and said, hey, if if I'm no different, I'm not special, even though I'm maybe better at basketball than somebody, mm-hmm. but I'm not anything special. And oh, by the way, neither is Ray Lewis, who's on the football mm-hmm. field doing his thing. Like, there's no reason I can't do that. Exactly. I, I always looked at anything in life as if I really want that, what am I willing to put in to get it? And so am I willing to put in the hours? You know, when I heard Kobe say, you know, 10,000 shots and countless hours. It's like, okay, I got a lot of shots I need to start putting up, right? So, you know, Ed Reed, studying film. Okay, well, in high school, I need to start studying film a lot more. So you guys are dot connectors. And what I mean by that is dad saw potential in you and said, I want what's best for my son. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m., drag him down, because I'm sure he didn't enjoy dragging you and arguing with you and every day, right? But he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do it Mm because I believe, I see the dream and I see what he's capable of if he continues to go down a certain path. And in some senses, you take that same approach. It's like, all right, I got the dream. I got the vision. Now it's just connecting dots and putting the work in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my my dad, you know, again, his biggest thing was the education. Mm. And so he was sacrificing and he, he knew that that education that you're going to get at Loyola is something that you need to get. And so he was committed to do whatever it was going to take for him to make sure I, got, I received that education. And so for me, it was, you know, I'm going to do whatever it's going to take for me to become a professional athlete. So and did that click for you at, was that the turning point for you at school? Is like, okay, this place is actually going to provide some opportunities for me to thrive athletically or academically? Or when did you turn from being grumpy outside the door to something else? No, again, it went, it, it went back to, I got tired of getting beat up by my dad. Right, right, right. right and right. so it, it was, I might as well make the best out of it. Got it. So right. you flipped though. You, you switched and said, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. All right, how do I just make the best of, yep. of whatever this is? Mm-hmm. So now you're not in like, all right, I, I'm so excited to be there. It's like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I got to just do what I got to do. That's exactly what it was. It is what it is. And then when I did have those frustrating moments, I was always playing sports. Mm-hmm. So I, I can, somebody going to get it in practice today. Or, you know, or we have a game coming up. Or they going to get it. They going to they gonna get all my frustrations. Were you good at lacrosse? I was okay. I was, uh, I was <laughs> they put me in a goal. And so starting off as the goalie was the worst thing. Ever. I told you I quit baseball because I got hit with a ball. I was just going to say, <laughs> those that don't know lacrosse goalies, they, they're, the, the lacrosse ball is like, it's, I have one behind me. It's this rubber hard, hard ball. And they fire that thing 100 miles an hour, whatever yeah. it is. And goalies wear a helmet and a stick. And gloves. That's it. Like, it's not hockey goalies that are fully padded. Like, these guys, like, I, I've never, lacrosse goalies are different. Like, so, you got to be different to be playing lacrosse goalie. And so, it's funny that you brought up hockey, right? Because I went and bought, like, these hockey pads for my legs in practice. And so, in practice, I was just like, okay, you can hit my legs. But 
course they couldn't wear those in the games. So they let you wear the the hockey pads in practice. Yeah, I wore them in practice. Oh, they didn't. They didn't if you care. want me in the goal, I'm definitely going to wear these things, right? <laughs> Until I get comfortable with you know trying to get down and, and, and stop the shots going down bottom. But uh, nah. Did you stay at goalie or did you move out? No, I actually eventually started facing off. Okay. And so once I started facing off, that's when I really started to have fun because you know I'm down, I'm, I'm getting physical with people, I'm fighting for the ball, and I was pretty good at it. So. Yeah, that's when I started having fun with it. Awesome. Uh, but football and basketball, were you good at those from a young age? or yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I've always played those from a very young age. And you were good. You were excelling at those as a young. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so talk about the idea of coming into this environment. You know, you mentioned it's all boys, predominantly white. I don't know Loyola, so I'd imagine, mm -hmm. though, you know, if you're paying for it, there's people there that have some means mm -hmm. uh, financially. What's it like for you being there, sticking out? Um, how do you think about sticking out versus fitting in? Mm -hmm. um, how do you adjust to that environment? So, again, in the in the middle school, um, because I didn't want to be there, I really didn't care about what people were Whatever. Doing. You're just whatever. It was just like, I don't want to be here anyway, so I don't care, right? Um, but one of the things that really did stand out to me was at some point I was one of two African-Americans in the middle school. And so I, I I found myself in a lot of situations where I had to explain the black culture mm. or I was looked at um, as the person who, however I act, I, I pretty much defined what the black culture was. And so I had to spend a lot of time educating my peers at the time and saying, just because I act this way doesn't mean everyone else act this way. Or just because of what you see on TV doesn't mean that we all act that way, right? Like, you have to understand TV is is highlighting the negative things even today. Still highlights the negative things about what's happening in, in the city. And so there were a lot of, of perceptions that I really had to try to, you know, change with within people, within my friends. Some good, some bad. Um, and so that became overwhelming at some point. What was it like for you, though, going home, you know, at night uh, or on the weekends or hanging with your buddies, uh, you know, from your neighborhood or, or wherever your community? What's that dynamic like for you going from really two different worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Like two different, two very different communities. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Uh, it was, you know, I, I looked at it as I said that I was going to have the best of both worlds. Mm. And I was going to be, no matter where I went, I was going to be able to adapt. And I'm extremely comfortable, of course, being in the city. That's where I'm from, hanging with my friends. I prefer that over anything, right? But at the end of the day, no matter where you put me, I'm going to be able to adapt because I'm going to have had those experiences. I've had military people on here, families where the kids grow up as, as military brats, mm -hmm. and they talk about that ability to be a chameleon and that yep. ability to adjust depending on the environment. And it really is a gift because... Every community has something to offer, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all different types of people have something to offer. And your ability to connect with different types of people mm -hmm. is massive. So it's a it's an amazing tool to be able to develop and create. For sure. So high school comes around for you, mm -hmm. and you're playing. Do you stick 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 with lacrosse, or are you? Yeah, I was. Yep. Still lacrosse. So three sport three in sport. high school. Yeah. So you're busy playing sports. Mm -hmm. um, how are you academically at that point? Uh I was getting by. I was so, doing. I was doing enough. Solid. Yeah, it was just enough to to get by. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what position in football? Safety. And what position in basketball? I was a point 
trying to be a point guard. My handles weren't all that good. Yeah. So wherever they would put me at. I'd give you my handles and yeah. uh, and my passing, and you give me whatever else. Yeah. I was uh, I could jump off the gym. Yeah, I, oh, I, don't I, I could. That. Oh, I could climb the ladder. <laughs> yeah. So you're playing safety in football, though. Uh, tell everyone about this, you know, transformative moment in your life where I'd imagine things shift quite a bit. Um, talk about talk about that. Yeah. So it was my my junior year. Uh, we was playing against Georgetown Prep, and at the time, Georgetown Prep was a was a really good school, and so we were down at Georgetown Prep, and I was like five minutes from where we're recording man. right now, literally down a street. Yeah. You don't even have to turn. You literally go, yeah. you go out that street uh-huh. and keep going. You'll you'll hit Georgetown Prep. Maybe I'll, seven I'll, minutes. I'm probably gonna drive by there. Yeah, today. nostalgia. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. It's I have, still beautiful. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been back since. You know, I haven't been Georgetown Prep for 15 years. Unbelievable. Crazy. So, yeah, so the fact that I'm this close, I definitely have to drop. Yeah, there. and for those that don't know, Georgetown Prep looks like a college campus. It's they've got a couple golf holes, they've got uh, you know indoor tennis. It's got these old buildings, beautiful basketball court. Anyway, swimming pool, yeah. indoor swimming pool. Anyway, sorry, you're at Georgetown yeah, no, Prep. Good. So Georgetown Prep, and it was uh, September 25th, 2004. Went in for a routine tackle when I broke my neck. Broke my neck in two places, and so when I it, it, crazy. I had broken previous, you know, bones previously. And so I knew I broke something, but I didn't know what. And so as I'm laying there on my back, I, my body was tingling. And that, that sensation of a stinger or that sensation that you have when a body part falls asleep, my entire body was like that. And so I'm just laying there like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm going to get up. And I had this rule, um, and I used to always tell my teammates, like, no matter how bad you're injured, get up off the, you know, get up off the field and walk off um, if you can. And so for me, it's just like, all right, I'm about to get up, and I, I couldn't couldn't feel anything. So I'm like, okay, my body's tingling. I can feel the tingling, but I couldn't feel like me trying to actually move, like, right? And so um, eventually I saw the trainers um, over top of me, and he was talking. He was asking me if I could feel different things, which I couldn't. And eventually it felt like I was levitating. And so, um, and again, when I'm saying feeling, I'm talking about physical touch. Or like where where's my body in space? Right? Is, is my arm up? Is my arm down? Um, it was just the tingling and the levitating thing. And so uh, paramedics got there, and I overheard one of the firefighters say that I was paralyzed. And so for me, I said, "This guy done." In my, I'm saying this in my mind. Like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about because when you're paralyzed or when you break your neck, you die. And so I'm still alive. So what what is this guy talking about? And so I knew it was bad, though, because my mom was on the field. And how I knew it was bad, so going back to my Pop Warner days, one of the first games my mother came to, I was playing running back, and I got tackled. And she, um, I was at the bottom of the pile, and I could hear my mother's voice saying, get off my son. Mm. And so... As and again, now this is Pop Warner, and so as the power is getting lighter, my mother's voice is closer, and I realized my mother was on the field pulling people off of me, <laughs> her baby, <laughs> pulling people off of me. And so after that, you know, my teammates rode me forever, and I was just like, "Mom, you can never ever come on the football field ever again in life." And so to hear my mother on the field now, I knew something was bad, you know. And so when the the I heard that they were bringing a helicopter, and so when the medevac landed, 
Did they um, take you to Baltimore? Yeah, they took me to shock, shock trauma. trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And uh, I know someone, unfortunately, who got hurt here. He's actually a former podcast guest named Dima Chavez. He severed his leg in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And he's in the helicopter. And they're like, we're taking you to Baltimore. And he's like, I'm taking me to Baltimore? Yeah. And they're like, sir, y- you want to go to Baltimore? Yeah. Uh, shock trauma because they have one of the best shock trauma units I think in the in the world. Yep. Um, so that's where you went. Yep. That's where that's where I went. And so when you're in that helicopter, what's going on in your mind? Um, honestly, I don't remember. I I don't I I, I don't remember. Mm. I just I the one thing I do remember is they wouldn't let me go to sleep. Mm. And then it wasn't until I landed, and once I landed, I don't remember anything after that. Mm. Yeah. When you wake up wake- from that days. What do you remember? I, I wake up and I my, my parents are in the room, but their back is to me and they're talking to the doctors. And the doctors are telling them that I'll be like that for the rest of my life. Mm. And like that is paralyzed from the neck down, unable to do anything. Of course, not move, wasn't breathing on my own, couldn't talk, nothing. Wasn't wasn't allowed to eat, just nothing. Yeah. As you talk about it, what goes on for you inside? What What, what is your body what, emotionally? Um, you know, I because I speak, because I do a lot of speaking engagements, it it doesn't affect me hmm. as much as it as it you know as it used to. So nothing really, really. You know? yeah. And I'm curious. So 15 years ago, mm-hmm. almost exactly. Like Actually, th- it's a little past 15. Okay. Yeah. Right. September. Yeah. Yeah. So just past 15 years. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you go to Georgetown Prep in a in an hour or so. Yeah. What do you think you'll feel going there? Oh, it'll definitely be emotions, for yeah. sure. Yeah. What do you think will come up for you then? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go find out, though. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go find out. Why do you have that in you, the ability to say, I want to go find out? You know, um, I just I, I just spoke to a church group Wednesday night, and we talked about facing whatever happened to us, right? When you get a chance, face it. Don't run from it. And I've always been that way. No matter what it was that I was in, good or bad, if I had to face it head on, I'm going to face it head on. And I've never been down back near Georgetown Prep. And so the fact that I'm seven minutes away and it's something that I eventually I, I will need to overcome, I'm just going to do it today. Man, if I have time, I'm going to go with you. Okay. Uh, and the reason partially is, is selfish i i i used to always say you know i want to be happy mm-hmm. most humans like the goal should be to be happy and i've shifted that thinking to think i want to feel alive mm-hmm. and the fact that you're like yeah i want to go there is like in my mind it's like yeah you want to feel alive like you want to feel and you know so often especially men we're like ah oh, don't feel like you know mm-hmm. just stoic Man, the good things in life involve feeling. Yeah. They involve emotion. Um, and as you're telling your story, like I, I'm feeling alive right now. And we were talking about podcasting before we fired up the podcast. I think one of the gifts that the podcast has given me is I feel alive more. Mm. Like these conversations make me feel really alive. And I think that a lot of life is about having meaningful dialogue and, and conversation yeah. and leveraging the human experience and the human spirit. Yeah. So... Uh, hopefully we'll we'll have some time to go over there together. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, the Nationals are playing tonight in the World <laughs> Series, so we got to make it quick. But uh, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll get over there. Um, so you're lying in that bed. How long were you in the hospital for? Three and a half months. Oof. 
Yeah. Uh, thoughts running through your head during that time? Yeah, so two, two thoughts. One was, why me? Uh, and then the other one was, what am I going to do for myself? I'm 16. And so everything I worked up until that point has been taken away. My dream, gone. And why me? You know, I was a good kid. I was doing the things I needed to do. I was on a straight, you know, straight path. Why me? And Did you answer that? Eventually I would. I would find out the answer eight years later. Hmm. Yeah. What's the answer? To, to do my work that I'm doing in the community now. It was, I was being prepared. And I, I always say I was being prepared for something much greater than me. You know, it was, but it was, it was some, it had to be something that dramatic to get my attention. Right. It was, I'm sure there were things that God was doing that was pulling me in a different direction. But because I was so focused on this is my dream and I'm going to achieve this no matter what, he had to do something dramatic to say, no, you're not, you're going to do what I want you to do. Two thoughts to chew on. One is I have a framework about adversity that is we can either be victims and victims say, why me? Mm-hmm. And by the way, saying why me is necessary if you want to come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. And being a victim is not all bad. There's a time to go through that. If someone passes away, you need to grieve. You need to be a victim. If something traumatic happens to you, it's mm-hmm. healthy to be a victim. And we just can't be a victim our entire life. Yeah. And so at some point we have to switch from being a victim and we'll just use your dad dragging you down the stairs and taking you to to school. Like, oh, why me? Why do I have to go to school? At some point you shifted to, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. That's a survivor. A survivor will say, "Mm, it happened. Nothing I can do about it. It's what it is. Let's go on. Yeah. A thriver says, all right, that happened and watch what I'm going to do. And so I would say victim is why me. Survivor is, is, it is what it is. And then a thriver says, Watch this. Yeah, I like that. And I hear your story and I hear you go through like the victim, survivor, and thriver. And it's interesting because it sounds like almost two times, uh, at least two times in your life, even at Loyola, there was victim, survivor, and then it sounds like you were thriving as a athlete. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, did you, were you thinking you were going to play D1 football? Was that your junior year? So were you already being recruited? Yep. Where were you being recruited to? Yeah. So I wanted to go to West Virginia. Wow. That, that, that was, West Virginia was the team at the time. So that was, definitely like my dreams like yeah. if i get to west virginia we're good to go were they recruiting you so I, re- I did receive a letter yeah um and so you know but it was it i, I was injured the beginning of my junior year it, it, it's so crazy because i missed a couple of games um i broke my hand and in, in practice and so i had a cast on and they wouldn't let me play the first so i missed like the first two games i believe that that year and then I came back and I played like a game or two with the cast. And then the day that I got the cast off was the day that I broke my neck. The other thought I had was around potential and around possibilities. So to make it to the NFL, you have to fulfill your potential. And there's a path, right? You have to get in shape. You have to do a lot of weightlifting. You got to watch film, like you were saying, like Ed Reed, you know, take care of yourself. There's a path there to fulfill potential. It's maximizing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to maximize myself. And what you were seeing sometimes, and I've worked with football players, is like they're so focused on fulfilling potential that they see no other possibilities other than that. Yeah. And because they see no other possibilities, they actually can maximize. The downside is they see no other possibilities. So then when they're done with their sport, their identity is completely tied to it. 
and they have no idea how to leverage that potential seeking in other possibilities. Yeah. So my work is a lot about helping people either unlock their potential or see new possibilities. Okay. And a lot of times when I work with athletes, it is about unlocking their potential. When I work with executives and adults, it's usually about seeing possibilities because potential is more of a narrow focus. Possibilities is more of a broad focus. Yeah. And it sounds like, as I'm hearing your story, you are on a path to unlock your potential and you weren't going to stop. No. Like you were going to go all in, all chips in, I'm going to do it. And it sounds like this accident opened up possibilities for you. Is that resonating? How, how, you, how do you think about that? So it, it, it definitely does uh, resonate because, you know, and before, before we jumped on um, the recording, I was saying how um, I was always using football or athletics as a vehicle. And it was a vehicle to change in my life and my family's life. It was a vehicle to getting us to financial, you know, getting us to where we wanted to be financially to, to, to live a different life, to, to live a different style of life, right? And so, like anything in my life, when one vehicle doesn't work or one vehicle doesn't get me to where I need to be, then I just find another another vehicle. And so... You know, but, but before I get deeper into that, I want to go back to that, that we also talked about tipping points and I hope I'm not just jumping too far. You can ahead. jump anywhere. Um, but the, the tipping points of what, what changed for me to get me to looking at the possibilities. And it was back when I was in a hospital. Um, I, 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 even to this day, I still believe that, um, no matter what situation I'm in, Physically or mentally, I'm, I'll, I'll get through it. Physically or mentally. Back then when I was in um, going through my injury, uh, I made the decision that I no longer wanted to live because I got tired of seeing my parents suffering. It wasn't about me. It was about I got tired of seeing my, my mom, you know, looking like she's been crying all night, no sleep. My dad's crying, no sleep. Got tired, of, got tired of those things. And so I said, their life would be easier if I wasn't a constant remembrance of what happened. And if I was just no longer living, they would cry and they would be sad for some time. They would think about me for some time. But eventually, it would, it would fade. And so I tried to give up. And um, it didn't work. <laughs> Thank God, right? What did, what did you do? So, I told myself literally I couldn't do anything other than say I no longer want to fight. Right? Did like you articulate mentally, that to them? Couldn't talk. No. It's nothing. Nothing. Just in your head. Just in my head. Yeah. Just in my head. And so when I woke up, I was back and I was in a really bad state as far as physically. I was in a bad state. I was back on the ventilator. wasn't breathing on my own. None of those things. But the the, the here's the tipping point. My dad came in. Well, my dad was in the room when I woke up, and it was as if he knew what what occurred right and he said to me he you know he lit into me he left out the room and then he came back and he said a man isn't defeated when he loses; he's defeated when he gives up and then he said god's going to do his part i'm going to do my part and i need you to do your part mm. and so for me that was a direct challenge from the strongest man that i know to do my part and in that moment, I said to myself, challenge accepted. I'm going to do whatever it, it, it was going to take for me to not only recover, but to thrive, right? Um, 
And I, the way that I told myself I would do that would be, it would just be an extended football game. I knew football was football was my life. And so how can I continue to use the, those things that I was working towards to, to, you know, refocus on a different goal, but still use those things that sports taught me to get there? It's so awesome. We talk about with athletes all the time. It's what you do. It's not who you are, right? Like you play football, but it's not who you are. It doesn't define mm-hmm. you. The example I always give is Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, right? Yeah. Play the same exact position, both good looking, big, strong dudes, you know, their actions are just very different and uh, certainly come from different environments too. So I'm not neglecting that, but you know, by all in from the outside looking in, it's like, Oh, they got everything right. And mm-hmm. they, you know, and the actions were not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you connected the dots though, to say, I have a competitive spirit, a drive, a determination to get to the NFL. I'm going to use that same spirit to help me overcome this. Yeah. So now you're leveraging the sport and what it's taught you mm-hmm. and just applying it elsewhere. Yep. And as I think about pro athletes who struggle in transitioning out of sport, it's that realization that, oh, I can apply what I've learned from my sport to whatever it is I want to do. And that's my path for success. But a lot of them struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, it, it could be how the sport is being removed. Mm. For me, the mm. sport was removed instantly. And so I had no other choices. I mean, well, you did. I did not to deal with it, but you know, I was sixteen. Yeah, I had a whole life to live, right? There's no way that I'm gonna, I'm gonna not fight. But at the same time, it was also, uh, I was, I was motivated by people saying what I couldn't do, and that's just the competitor in me. You tell me I can't do something, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Just to say, you proved you wrong. Yeah, because part of your story was saying that the doctor said he's paralyzed, he's always going to be like this. Yeah, and I said, you know, I'm going to change that. That not accepting that. And maybe it was me, the stubbornness, me saying, okay, I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you. I'll, when, they, when they came in and someone said that I wouldn't graduate on time for my class in Moyola, okay, I'll show you. Mm. You know, and I graduated on time for my class. But not only did I do that, I started driving myself back there my senior year. Now, it wasn't easy. No, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, but how I did it was as soon as, you know, my, well, my dad used to always say, Van, never put all your eggs in one basket. And the very simple is. Um, but you were. You were putting your eggs in the oh, football basket. Oh, for, oh, for sure. All the eggs. For sure. And I broke them. I broke every last one of them. Yeah. I broke every last one of them. And in so many words, you know, my dad looked at me one day and was like, told you so mm. right like my my dad's straight shooter okay so now what you know wh- wh- what about that education i was telling you to get and so i realized that there were two things that could never be taken away no matter what my physical ability was one was my education and the other one was the things that i was exposed to and so if i was going to have any level of success any level of success i needed to get my education and so when they came in saying well, you're not going to be able to graduate on time with your class. That was like, okay, you already took athletics from me. Now you're telling me you're taking my education? Nah, 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 nah. We're not having that. And so now, again, everything I was putting into my athletics is now directed towards getting that education because that's the only thing I had left. If I didn't have that, then what? You know, didn't have anything. And so that, that I wasn't going to let someone take that away from me. 
Can you take us to high school graduation day? Oh man, it was crazy. Tell me about it. Oh man, it was so we we wear white. We have like white suits on, and um, we it's, it's this open field in in the school called the Hollow, and um, a lot of people were there, and you know. Riding through and, and and sitting in the hollow waiting for my name to be called and his, you know last name Brooks so I was one of the one of the first to, to go up and everything just erupted like it went, everyone went crazy when they called my name because it was one from you know a year ago I was fighting for my life and and the 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 community didn't know if I was gonna live so going from fighting for for your life to gradually coming back and then eventually you know a year later graduating on time for your class after going through that you know it was it was wild all right man we're gonna try this again yeah. when i asked you before what you feel as you tell the story of yeah. your accident you weren't you're like i i don't i've told so much i don't really feel yeah what do you feel now as you talk about the graduation could you tap no. into that yeah for sure um it it i i, I see the i see the picture like i see it right i see it and you know i'm 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 extremely grateful, but I'm also feeling I'm blessed, right? Because I know how many people didn't make it through what I went through, and um, you know, I'm 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 blessed that so many people supported me. I'm blessed that um, I had the parents, and I have the parents who who never gave up on me, right? Even in times where I I gave up on myself, they never gave up on me, and so, um, you know, it's 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 one of those things where my parents were here right now, uh, like in this room. I would tell them like, you know, I hope they're proud that their sacrifice is paid off. Do you tell them that? Do I tell them that I, I hope they're proud? Or no, no, no. I I um no. Why not? I don't know. Maybe I will today. Today's going to be about changing things. Going to Georgetown Prep, I'll tell my parents that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. The other thought I had was there's this idea of fitting in or sticking out. Mm -hmm. And I think high school kids struggle with this because high school is, at least for me, was a lot about, you know, you just try to fit in. Like, you don't want to get made fun of. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, just, just fit in. But life, like, is this combination of sticking out and fitting in. And there's a story that you have in, in there about, like, you're normal. Like, you're just like everybody else. But here you are at graduation day. You don't look like them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't walk like them, you know. And uh, I would imagine your family in the crowd's probably not sounding like them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> would be a guess. There's a pride factor there. Yeah. I would imagine your sisters are screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So you were probably sticking out pretty damn good graduation day. Mm -hmm. How do you think about sticking out versus fitting in? Depends on what you're sticking out for. Hmm. Um, if you're right now, I'm always going to stick out. Yeah. I'm a black male in a wheelchair. Uh, and so I have on a sweatsuit. This is how I dress on a daily basis, right? And so when I go into a lot of the environments that I'm, I'm typically in with my, my, my work, um, that's not my community, I stick out. And I stick out in a negative way mm. because I'm a black male in a sweatsuit, mm. right? And the way society 
is is rough on black males, let alone someone in a wheelchair. Because the first thing someone may ask me is, or will assume, is that I've been shot, mm. right? And so I stick out regardless whether I want to or not. If I if I don't, um, however, I'm 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 never gonna let someone else define me, right? I'm I'm a, I'm gonna, yeah, I may stick out and and until someone says, well. Or get to know me, and then they see see and hear to- something totally different. Um, and I guess that's been one of those things where, you know, I've been changing people's perspective since I was in sixth grade, um, and it just continues on. But now, it's more behind the story of Van Brooks. It's more behind that's a guy sitting in a wheelchair. It's okay. Once you get to know me, then you'll understand all the things that I've been able to do while sitting in this wheelchair. Yeah, because greatness requires sticking out. Mm-hmm. Like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, going to be president of the United States, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, an athlete, an actor, musician, a great lawyer, politi- political, whatever. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like It does require you putting your neck out and sticking out. But when you came in here, and I think I was on the phone, and I turned around, I'm like, hey. And then I walk up to you, and you stick your hand out. Mm-hmm. And... I have a friend, he's a quadruple amputee. He's also been on the podcast, Kyle Maynard. And Kyle's climbed mountains. Uh, he climbed Mount Aconcagua and uh, <laughs> bear crawls. He bear crawls Sheesh. up these mountains. Uh, and Kyle's a beast. When you first meet Kyle, you know, he doesn't have um, hands. And, you know, he, he gives you, like, sort of your elbows, basically. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't know how to greet Kyle. And Kyle always, I've watched him now. I've been around him so much. He just sticks his elbow out mm-hmm. for you to, like, shake his hand. And when I met you, it was like, oh, here's my hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the gift of sticking out is then bringing people in so that you can fit in together. And at some point when I'm with Kyle, I spent a week with him. And I think the fourth day, I stopped seeing even, I, I swear to you, I stopped seeing all the other stuff. I just saw Kyle. You know why? Do I know why? Yeah. I have some thoughts, but why? You accept him for him. I think so. No, that's exactly what it is. I can I, when when I'm around, when I know people accept me, right? It'll and it happens a lot with family and close friends. It it'll be hey we're gonna go, and I'm just just coming up with an example. Hey we're gonna we're gonna run over here really quick and go in here, and I'm like, bro, it's ten steps, and they're like, Shh, I forgot. All right, come on, let's figure this out, right? They they accept me for me. Totally. Right. Whereas someone else will be cognizant of that, like, oh, well, you can't get in there because it's ten steps, and it's just like, oh yeah, you're you're right, right, you know. But but it's a, it's a big difference. It's a big difference, and that's what it is. It's, I when I met him the seventh day, we were at a bar, and he went to the bathroom, and he got out, and I think probably similar to you, he's just an independent guy. He drives, mm-hmm. you know, t- he he doesn't need a whole lot. Like he's. He's managed to be very independent, different from you because he was born that way. Okay. Um, so you and him would have an interesting conversation. But he gets out of the bathroom and looks at me. He's like, hey, Brian, we got to know each other pretty well. You think you could help me? I'm like, with what? He's like, helping me pull my pants up. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, Kyle, I got you, bro. Uh, but I had forgotten I like that he could potentially need help just like, yeah. you yeah. know, with, with that. So I think you're spot on. Uh, you get to a point where you just see people as people, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful place. And I think there's a 
that is helpful for so many things. It's race, uh, gender, ethnicity, culture. It's like when we stop seeing people and labeling them as such, and mm-hmm. we just see them, uh, all the other stuff just becomes noise in the background. Yep. It's not like I honestly have gotten to that point with you in the last hour. It's like I'm just looking at your face. And that's where I am. No different than anybody else who's come through that door. And I'm just on their face. And I'm taking note of your body, but more from a sense of like, can I notice anything from a body language standpoint about what he might be feeling Mm -hmm. and trying to look at that. But I think seeing people is one of the most, it's one of the biggest gifts we can give. And it's the gift your dad gave you when you woke up is he saw you Mm -hmm. and didn't see you as broken and just saw you as like, hey, you're still, you're still Van, you're still competitive, and he probably knew, like, all right, this is what Van needs right now. Yeah, oh, he was spot on. When did you think about the foundation and think about inspiring others? Yeah, so so after graduating from high school and college. And where did you go to college? Towson. And so what was that like for you, real quick, uh, going to college, being in that uh, another environment? Mm-hmm. How was that experience for you? It was, so I didn't have a... a, a, a typical college experience just because one I didn't stay on campus and two uh, Towson was under a ton of construction at the time building different buildings not ideal not at all so I literally stayed in my one classroom building I pulled up right there went in and left I didn't didn't hang around campus at all huh so I was there just for the education wow yeah yeah interesting but I was I was still in you know I was so that was eight years into my injury I was still in therapy and um, I it, it woke up one day, horrible, horrible, horrible morning. And um, I always say that the, the toughest part of my day is the morning. Every morning is, is rough for me getting out of bed just because I'm waking up to the realization or the reality of you're still in the wheelchair no matter how. No matter how much I dream about I was gonna say your dreams, playing uh, football and running around. Yeah, I'm, so in my, I'm never in a wheelchair in my dreams. Wow. Never. So if I wake up from a really good dream, it's like, okay, yeah, back to reality. Not to be too Freudian, but what do you think that's about? I'm going to get out this chair one day. Yeah, how yeah. cool is that? Yeah. So still, vision is I'm going to get out. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. why I'm still in, in therapy. Yeah. That's why I still do for the, I'm still in the gym twice a week. Wow. Twice a week, and it's been 15 years. Physical therapy, any uh, psychological therapy as you're going through all that? No, I'm, I've never done that. Yeah. I've, I've never, never done it. And any feelings of despair, like what you felt when you were lying on that bed and not unable to talk, any of that sort of deep, dark, dark stuff as you've gone through a lot of this adversity? No. Mm-mm. I, I've, I've, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say I compartmentalized it. Um, I, I think my therapy is when I do my speaking engagements, mm-hmm. it allows me just to, share and get whatever it was that was may have been bothering me just get it out and so after years of, of doing it i think I, I think i've had my therapy sessions he's looking at me i'm <laughs> smiling at ear. the reason because you talked about football and you know you'd be frustrated and then you'd be like i have nothing i can do and then you go out on the football field and you'd use it there hmm. and so it sounds like you might even if you have some emotional stuff going on underneath it's like okay well when i get on stage that's going to be my time to sort of let that let that go yep foundation and, and helping others so yes. when when did that come into crystallization so I, I so i went into therapy and uh i told my therapist i wanted to try walk and so to make a long story short what was the therapist's reaction when you said that so 
she was like, yeah, you're not ready for it. But she said it in a joke, yeah. in a joking manner. Oh, right? okay. She said it in a joking manner um, because I always joke and play. But no, I was I was dead serious this time. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're, yeah. If not, I'm not coming back to therapy ever again. And so she, she's like, okay, we can try it. First day, three, three steps. Next time, you know, more steps, five steps. Next time, more steps. Then eventually I'm like, you know, let's just see if I can do it on my own. And I was able to take steps on my own and um, got in the car and cried like a baby. And I cried not because I took the steps but more. So that's when I realized what the purpose was for everything that I went through. I realized why I was going through my injury. I, I mean, everything made sense to me. then. And so literally two days after that, I woke up from a dream that said start a nonprofit. I had no prior knowledge of a nonprofit. But I knew that I, I had to start a nonprofit that was going to share my story and teach the importance of having an education and a backup plan for life. And so I started Safe Alternative Foundation for Education, which is a nonprofit. And is now I opened up a youth center. So I started that in 2012. In 2015, I opened up a youth center literally two blocks away from my house in Baltimore City that I've always lived in. And is to teach middle schoolers the importance of having an education and a backup plan for life. But more importantly, to give them the resources, give them the opportunities, give them the hope that they can achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. So what does it look like? They come after school or when, they, when are they there? Yeah, they, right after school. So school, that's all about 2.30. So 2.30 to 6, they're with us um, during the academic year. And then during the summer, they're with us from 9 to 4. Hmm. Yeah. And all kinds of activities and... Uh, yeah, so so we again we're we're very big on the the hands-on experiences, and so what happens in the school system is this: it's you go to school to learn something, right? To get an education, you're you're learning. But a lot of people don't know how to apply what they're learning, and so what we do is we help them and teach them how to apply it. We connect the dots between the classroom and the real world, the classroom and the working world. And so it's, what do you learn in the classroom? What potential careers can you go into using what you learned in the classroom? And let's do some very fun, hands-on activities that will show you different ways of applying that knowledge that you're gaining in the classroom. And so an example of that would be like woodshop and math. You know, you're learning your fractions. You, we take you to woodshop class. You're building stuff with your hands. You're building project, projects. You're learning how to use these different machines. But then also you're getting insight into a career that you can go into. And so we do that, you know, um, we run about 25 to 30 different programs during the academic year. And then the summer camp is all about, again, just exposing our kids to as much as possible, getting out the city as much as possible. Why middle school? Because I feel as though that they, they're the, that's the age where they're just trying to figure themselves out. And we can, we can kind of mold them and get them going in the right path. And how many years have you been doing this now? Five years. So I've had the foundation for seven, but I had the youth center for five. Awesome. And is the youth center really where the magic happens? Is that, that's been a game changer for you once you got that? Yeah, it's definitely, again, it's my purpose. It's my purpose of everything was to, to build the networks, to use my knowledge, my education, the resources I had to pour into other people and to, to make sure that other people have hope and other people have access to the things that I did that set me on my path. What What's next 10 years look like for you and for the foundation and yeah. what, what do you see? So next year I'm actually opening up a, a new center. 
So 2020, I'll be opening up a workforce development center. And with that center, that center will focus on getting people in my in my neighborhood employed, you know, family wage employment. And we 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 know from the you know the, the data tells us uh, the the impact on community, the impact on health, the impact on family, the economic impact that having family wage employment will do. Uh, and in the part of West Baltimore where we are, we definitely need it because the workforce development center staying with the the hands-on component that we teach our middle schoolers. We're going to be acquiring vacant properties around in our neighborhood. And everyone who's going to come through our Workforce Development Center between the ages of 18 and 24 will be able to go into these vacant houses and receive the hands-on experiences of fixing up a house. And then we're going to get them employment. They're already going to come prepared with the soft skills as well as the technical skills training to get the employment and to, to you know, stay with the job uh, on the other side of that though the houses that they have been working on refurbishing during training will now become affordable homes and then we'll be able to get people housing and then again goes back to the the health impact and the community and all of those things so next 10 years we'll be we'll be scaling awesome i told you earlier that i now look for opportunities to feel alive mm-hmm. what makes you feel most alive working with my kids Seeing, seeing that light bulb turn on for them, that aha, like, I get it. I understand that. Like, I understand it. And then seeing kids who, uh, like myself, would have been a statistic. Um, you think you, you think if this had happened, you would have been a statistic? I was already a statistic. I grew up in a horrible neighborhood. I was... Um, I'm a black male, you know, I, I am a statistic. Till this day, I'm still a statistic, right? However, I, I know what's available and I can strive for that. My kids are learning what's available to them and they can strive for that. And the success that we've been having in helping kids literally from my neighborhood grew up just the same way I grew up. Um, or, or maybe have had, you know, some differences, you know, single parent household where I had both parents in the household uh, go from not knowing anything about private schools to now being a president of the honor society at a private school to averaging a 4.3 since being at that private school. That trajectory has changed not only for him, but the rest of his family. Yeah. And so seeing that just like, OK. You know, is 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 you you can't put a price on. I'm not saying we are saving lives, but you can't put a price on making a life better. Mm, it's beautiful. I'm sure you've heard this before, but you're 30 years old. Are you 30 now? 31. You're 31. This doesn't happen. You don't have the accident. Mm-hmm. Where are you? What are you doing? Hopefully, I, I hopefully I will still be in the NFL right now. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, um, but if if not in the NFL, I have no clue. Mm. None at all. It's just an interesting thing to think about. If you're in the NFL and you're 31, maybe there's a one in, what, 32 chance you're in Baltimore? I doubt if I would be in Baltimore. Right? No, I I doubt if I would be in Baltimore. Yeah. So the idea of staying in Baltimore and doing this work in Baltimore, Mm -hmm. you're well-educated. 
could go get a job doing something else. Mm -hmm. What's the draw to continue to do it in a, in a neighborhood or a city that is challenging? It's home. It's, you know, it's, so I, I did go out and get a job. I, um, I was appointed by the governor in 2017 to be the director of service and volunteerism for the state. And I did that for a year and a half. And the entire time I was there, I was getting pulled back to my community. Mm. So back in May, I left and I went back to my, my foundation full time to begin the process of opening up this other center. And so I've tried it and I got pulled back. Um, and not by not by anybody else. It was like that was just like that's where I need to be. You know, it's my purpose. And so why Baltimore? Because it's home. And and who else is going to do it if we don't do it ourselves? Mm. It's beautiful. When I work with the executives, especially at the CEO level, we talk about working on the business versus mm -hmm. working in the business. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, especially if let's take a a salesperson who gets promoted to becoming the CEO, they struggle because they got there because they worked in the business, right? Mm -hmm. They closed business, they got sales, they developed whatever. Mm -hmm. But now they're the CEO and it's not calling for them to work in the business, it's calling for them to work on the business. Strategic, mm -hmm. vision, scaling is a word you used earlier. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think of politics as a great opportunity to work on your community. Mm -hmm. Like that job with government was to work on, right? Mm -hmm. Like public policy and help try to make a difference on it. Yet you were drawn to go back in it. Do you envision that your nonprofit at some point, you'll be able to take a step out of being in it and move back to working on it? Those are, those, those are already things in process. And in order for me, and I, I have a very good sense of business. And, and I have a, some amazing mentors. In order for me to scale the nonprofit to, to do what I wanted to do, and I'm talking being the next Salvation Army that's around 100 years from now when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the dirt, right? Um, in order for me to do that, I have to work on the business. And so as we grow, as, as we grow um, in, in the work that we're doing, as we of course, you know, grow financially, that allows me to do more of the working on it than working in it. Right now, I'm doing a bit of both just because I have to. Yeah. Um, but I have a great team that allows me to work on the business a lot more than what, I, what, what was happening before. Man, it comes back full circle for me. When you talked about football, it was like, no, that's my path. Like, that's what I need to do to get my family in a better situation and mm -hmm. that. And there's that old adage, like, teach a man to fish or, you know, yeah, yeah. give a man a fish. And yeah, I'm curious yeah. to get your thoughts on that. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, sometimes you got to give the man a fish and then teach him. Mm -hmm. And I almost, as I hear a lot of your story, it's like, no, I need to be fully focused on football and, and to use that vehicle, right? Like let's call that vehicle your fish. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the vehicle. It's just a fish. I don't need to learn everything else. And if I use that vehicle correctly, then, you know, teach me how to fish so that I can go and do everything else. It sounds like you followed that path, right? Like let me, let me learn how to take some steps and, and get healthy, but don't get it twisted. I have dreams of then walking again. Um, you know, Hey, I had to go back in my community and give fish, but, 
the goal is to also teach fish, teach, teach people how to fish. Mm-hmm. Is that resonating at all with you? Because it seems like there's a pattern of that for you. It's like step one is no, we just need to survive. Right. Uh, I need to get out a victim, be a survivor, but the goal is not surviving. The goal is thriving, which when I hear thriving, I hear, you know, teaching how to fish, not just giving mm-hmm. the fish. I'm just curious to get your thoughts yeah. on it. So, so I definitely look at it as, um, even in my personal life and then the, the life, you know, helping, helping the lives of a lot of my students, it's survival mode, right? It, it is that survival mode part. So addressing the basic necessities right then and there to get them to the point, as you were saying, to then be able to say, okay, now that we've got you to the, the healthy point, now we're going to teach you how to do these things on your own to fend for yourself. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's just, it, it came into my brain as, as you were talking and, I think there's always a debate about or like which one do you do? It's like you can do both. Like why why can't you do both? It it's 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 everyone has a process and a journey. Yeah. Right? And it, so it's as long as you you you're looking at where you in that journey. And like wh- everyone has their walk. So where am I in my walk? Where am I what, what can I learn from from this? And I tell people all the time, you know, my journey wasn't easy. The process wasn't easy, but I learned the most going through it. And so, you know, kind of jumping back when you say, you know, you're going to go to you're going to go past Georgetown prep. That's a part of my journey. That's a part of my process. You know, I I didn't come out here on a Friday by coincidence. And uh, so happened that we're seven minutes away. And I like it's it's it. I haven't been here in 15 years. Today was was why why today? I have no clue. I have no clue. But as a part of my journey, as a part of my process, and so I need to continue on through it. It's a beautiful place for us to finish, and I have so much that I have to do, but I'm going to put all that on hold, uh, and I'm going to go over there with you. So uh, I will FaceTime with Zach and okay. see if we can catch him. Um, but I'm looking forward to going over there with you and checking it out. And I actually know some people over there, so I might okay. text them to come out um, and, and, and chat for a minute. But um, before we finish... Let people know where can they follow you on social media, and then also, most importantly, if they want to support the foundation and what mm-hmm. you're up to, how can people go about doing that? Yeah, thanks. So, um, Facebook and LinkedIn is Van Brooks, and then on Instagram is Van Brooks twenty five. And then, if you really want to know like more, and I, I I went into a lot of great details about um, my life and my perspective on things. I have a blog at vanbrooks.com. And so you can you can read a lot more about that on there. But to support the work of Safe Alternative, helping out students um, in, in West Baltimore or to support the new project that we're opening, you know, that I talked about, the Workforce Development Center, go to safealternative.org. So, again, it's safealternative.org. Um, more about my life, vanbrooks.com. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And then you can listen to all these episodes at intentionalperformers.com. Man, man, so great to get to know you. Likewise, man. So excited Zach connected us. Thank you, Zach. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you do over the next 10 years. I'll be, I'll be watching closely. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. I was 16. Hey, I had a whole life to live, right? And there's no way that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not fight. But at the same time, it was also, uh, I, was, I was motivated by people saying what I couldn't do. And that's just the competitor in me. 
you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Just to say, prove me wrong. <laughs>